Coming up on this week's show, we've got Casey McQuiston, and she's here to talk about her debut novel, Red, White, and Royal Blue. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 187 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamsrights.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello! This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable group on Patreon. We'll have more information in just a few minutes on how you can join them. This week's interview transcript is sponsored by Dream Spinner Press. Now, Dream Spinner Press is proud to publish Hank Edwards and Deanna Wadsworth and their latest book, Murder Most Lovely. Check it out and all the new mystery and suspense titles from authors like Amy Lane, Casey Wells, Tara Lane, Brees Ford, and that's just to name a few. You can also find your favorite new author while you're there. Just go to dreamspinnerpress.com for everything you want in gay romance. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we are... Delighted. Is that a, the, the proper descriptor? I the think so. Is good. We are delighted to be back. Uh, we've got a really terrific show for you. But before we get to this week's author, uh, we've got some news. First of all, we had our biggest podcast month ever. And that is all thanks to you, our valued listeners. Now, if you're interested in stats, last month we were 18% higher than our former highest month. And that happened to be uh, in October of 2017 when we did some extra bonus episodes for GRL. Um, so that was sort of a special case month. Yeah. Last last month, it was just a regular month. And you people showed up. And we are very, very grateful. Yeah. And what it means is, too, that a lot of new folks showed up. So especially if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. And if you've been here for whether it's a week, a month, or... The entire four and a half years at this point, we are very happy to have you here. And uh, thank you to those of you who've spread the word about us so that all these new folks can uh, check out the show. Yeah. Here's a quick update. Uh, 2019 has become the year of travel for Jeff and Will. Um, <laughs> we recently, <Indeed. laughs> we recently booked some uh, even more trips for 2019. Uh, just a quick recap of where you can find us this year. Uh, in July, we're going to be at RWA Nationals in New York City. That's from, uh, July 23rd to the 29th. Um, that's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be overwhelming. I know RWA is humongous, but uh, there's an insane number number of like incredibly cool people who are going to be in New York this summer, uh, and we can't wait to see them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a fun uh, learning and networking opportunity. And plus, this is our very first time at RWA, uh, so it's going to be fun to, to like check out what that scene is all about. For sure. Uh, coming in August, we're going to something called Podcast Movement, and that's taking place in Orlando from the 13th through the 16th. Now, uh, normally we would <laughs> avoid <laughs> Florida in August, but um, it came to our attention this uh, sort of podcasting conference uh, was going to be happening. Um, I'd frankly never heard of it before. I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, podcasting <laughs> is a big thing. So, of course, it would have a great big national conference. Um, and 
some some of the podcasters that we listen to on a regular basis mentioned that they would uh, be showing up this summer in Orlando. Uh, and we checked out what um, Podcast Movement has to offer. Uh, and it's something new and different. And we thought we should go experience it. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm particularly excited to go here. Uh, I've been in the Podcast Movement Facebook community for a while because mm. I get... Interesting bits and tips on how to run the show. And, you know, we've been in it long enough now that I'm even able to offer advice back to some newbies on how to get started. So I'm, I'm excited to go to the conference and, yeah. and check it out, even though it is Orlando in August. <laughs> and coming up in September, we're going to be going to the Dream Spinner Press Author Conference once again. Uh, that's taking place in Orlando as well. And uh, this is an author-only conference. Uh, we've gone a couple of times now, uh, and it's uh, a joy to go. Uh, DreamSitter Press has been putting these um, conferences on specifically for their authors for several years now, and every year it evolves and becomes bigger and more. Um, the offerings become uh, more in-depth. Um, so it's a real treat to get to experience some of the uh, talks and workshops that they do there. And uh, we're lo really looking forward to it. And inevitably, it brings material back for the podcast, too. Because I think the last couple of years we've gone, we've recorded stuff that you guys end up and get to listen to and see, which is always good for, for, for everybody. And finally, in October, we're, of course, going to be at the Gay Rome... I can't say the whole thing out loud. I'll just say GRL. How's yeah. that? Gay Rom Lit. <laughs> We're going to be at GRL in Albuquerque. Uh, we've gone uh, every year, almost since the beginning, uh, and we are very pleased to be returning once again. Yeah. GRL in Albuquerque is kind of a, a coming home of sorts because Albuquerque was our first one mm -hmm. since we had missed the first one uh, in New Orleans. So very excited about that. Yes. So... Uh, if you happen to be at GRL in October, we hope to see you there, uh, as well as any authors or author-adjacent people. Uh, we hope to see you at RWA in July. One other piece of news. Uh, next month is June, which, of course, is Pride Month. Uh, this year, it's going to be a very special Pride Month. It is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising, and we hope to mark that special anniversary with um, a, a special note for our uh, supporters on Patreon. Now, some of you may or may not know, we've mentioned it um, one or two times here on the podcast, when you join us and our community on Patreon, you have the choice of getting a personalized thank you card sent directly to you. And now we're extending that sort of like... Uh, uh, personalized hello personalized mail a little yeah a little uh, a little greeting from us uh for this very special occasion uh if you would like to receive a pride month card from the two of us all you have to do is join our community on patreon for more information all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash big gay fiction podcast that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash big gay fiction podcast High school hockey player? Computer whiz? Covert agent? Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the codename Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, he's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Audio Assault, 
the third thrilling book in the Codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, a family friend needs urgent help. Theo is off to New York City, where he uncovers an insidious plot. Popular song files have been modified to steal personal data and emit a tone that drives some listeners into a homicidal rage. Theo races against the clock to stop the music from causing worldwide chaos. Anna at Gay Book Reviews says, The twists the plot took were so unexpected and exciting that I just couldn't put it down. Get Audio Assault, an ebook or paperback, at Amazon and other online retailers. So I've got two books that I'm just over the moon about this week. And there's an interesting connection between the two books, plus the book I read last week with Play It Again uh, from Aidan Wayne. Each of these books all rely on messaging and emails and phone calls. It's kind of crazy how that's become a thread through these last books that I've read. It's, it's a thing. It's modern times reflected in our books uh, in a huge way. Now, the first book I want to talk about um, is Top Secret from Serena Bowen and L. Kennedy. I've been a huge fan of Serena's for some years now. Her understatement of the year is among my all-time favorite books. And I also love Him and Us, which were co-written with L. Kennedy. And they're back now with their first M.M. romance in three years. I can't believe it's been that long. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Top Secret is such an extremely satisfying enemies to lovers romance that just sizzles. But it also has some extremely sweet parts as well. The setup is simple. Keaton's a college junior from a very privileged family who's been with his girlfriend since high school. For her birthday, she announces that she wants a threesome. And after some brief thought, Keaton agrees to this. Now, he lives in a frat house where one of his frat brothers is Luke. Luke basically keeps to himself and barely gets along with anyone. He's a townie who's going to school on an academic scholarship and has a despicable mom and older brother who only want to take advantage of him and the meager money that he does make. He lives in the frat because it's cheaper than a dorm, and he's also running for dorm uh, for frat president because this means free room. Now, Keaton goes to an app to help find the right guy for this birthday present. He signs in under the name of Lobster Shorts and soon end up talking to Center 3. Now, once Center 3 finds out it's Keaton's first three-way, he wants to make sure Keaton's going to be cool with the mix and what the rules are for the whole thing. Center 3 also gives him some very sexy homework. And this all gets Keaton thinking because he's buried feelings about guys for a long time. Now, of course, it shouldn't be a surprise that Center 3 is actually Luke, who lives right across the hall. Now, what makes this book work so extraordinary well is the two sides of Luke and Keaton that we see, because their public personas and their chats on the app are quite different. Luke wants to escape the town and the life he's grown up in. He strives to excel in school so he can get the high-paying job and never be reliant on anybody. Meanwhile, Keaton knows he's got all the privilege but he also chafes at the expectations that his family and friends put on him. And he keeps all that to himself because it's what he's supposed to do. Now, when they're chatting as Center 3 and Lobster Shorts, the conversation drifts from figuring out what Keaton's sexual boundaries are to discussing the realities of their lives and what they actually want to happen after they get out of college. All their emotional shields fall away. And the way that Serena and Elle do these transitions from sexy to sweet and back again is just so perfect. 
Now, of course, the night finally comes that Keaton and Luke find out that they've been talking for weeks. And this night doesn't go anything like it was originally planned. But at the same time, they don't stop exploring their sexual feelings or sharing their closely guarded secrets. Both guys have some amazing growth as Keaton really comes into his own, embracing his true sexuality and even the career that he wants after college. And I have to say, I'm particularly happy this was not a gay for you story. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Keaton finds out who he really is here, um, even to the point where he's like going around and oogling other guys all of a sudden on campus. Now, the battle for Luke isn't about his sexuality at all. He's proudly bisexual, but he can't fathom that anyone could love him because of the terrible family that he grew up in. He's been so battered by them that he's really hesitant to accept help from anyone because it would surely come with strings. Thankfully, even though Keaton bungles quite a few things with Luke, he also works really hard to make it right. It's a credit to Serena and Elle that they've created such fully fleshed out characters who evolved through so much through the story. I was invested in so much more than just the romance because I really wanted these guys to find their way. Now, the motley crew of Fat Brothers also brought some great depth to the story as they were a mix of people who were genuinely kind and, and really some others who were pretty douchey along the way. Uh, the parents were also a ex- in- very interesting contrast. Luke's trailer trash and Keaton's very well-to-do were just like polar opposites of each other. Now, Keaton's father and mother are also far more than meets the eye. I don't want to get too much into spoilerly territory, but I have to call them out too because it is an example of Serena and Elle creating such multidimensional characters. Another extraordinary part of the story for me was how the black moment played out. A lot of stuff goes down, and there were plenty of opportunities to cheapen the story. But the way the last 20% of the book played out was perfect, even while it provided me with quite a few moments of stress. And you know how I get (laughs) on some of these books. (laughs) So, you know, we're headed into summer, and this book is going to be perfect vacation reading. So I highly recommend Top Secret by Sarita Bowen and L. Kennedy. Yeah, I know you've been looking... uh forward to this book for a while now so i'm glad it was the perfect summer read for you um before we get to this week's interview uh you are going to tell us all about this book this book is kind of uh taking the world by storm uh why don't you tell us a little bit more about it i I gotta tell you this was the book i didn't even know i needed really i mean and and red white and royal blue just lives up so much to its hype um Now, I kind of knew this book was going to be right for me. I have a thing for the royal trope. And the idea of an American first son and a British prince getting together. I mean, how is that not a must read? Uh, What I didn't expect was how Casey McQuiston elevated the material, putting this enemies to lovers romance on the list of my all-time favorites. Uh, Alex Claremont Diaz is the first son. Henry now is the prince. These two have secretly crushed on each other for years. They developed an enemy's vibe during the Rio Olympics when they had a less than good encounter. And that's especially from Alex's point of view. Now, if you move forward to today, they have a near international incident set off by these two at a royal wedding, which is the last place you want to screw anything up. Now, as part of PR disaster control, a story is created that Henry and Alex are actually the best of friends. And after some forced outings to appease the press, they start talking to each other more and more moving past their public personas. Now, one of the things that makes this story work so well is Casey has really created an alternate reality that I think a lot of us would like to live in. 
President Claremont took office from Obama, so the whole Trump nightmare never happened. And it's wonderful that her son is a Mexican-American, given the current hate-filled climate around immigrants. There's even a couple lines in the book about how it's not lost on Alex that there are some people who hate the fact that a Mexican-American took the job of first son. Now, Alex and Henry talk a lot about the lives that they want. They're both obviously expected to meet a lot of family obligations and kind of be leaders for their own for their countries in their own way. It's not really what they want, though. And here we go again with text, emails, and phone calls, because this is where Alex and Henry reveal more and more of themselves. And these are absolutely priceless interchanges. Um, at times, they're funny. At others, they are heartbreakingly honest as they talk about how they feel trapped. Um, as the first sparks of romance blossom between these enemies, uh, it's quite fiery as they have some rage-filled kisses uh, before succumbing to the fact that this is something that they both desperately want. The back and forth between the, the sweet romance and the slightly angry, angry romance only enhance the story, uh, even as they fight against themselves uh, to acknowledge their feelings. Uh, the reality of everything stays firmly rooted throughout the story, and I love that. Um, sometimes the royal trope, as much as I like it, is, is really a lot of fantasy, uh, far more than reality. But it's part of what makes that trope so good, too, that there is a chance that the prince might be your neighbor, or maybe he's hanging out at the coffee shop or goes to your university or whatever. In this case, this world could exist. A prince and a member of the first family could happen. And Casey gives them all the trappings, too, because so many of their secret rendezvous are partially orchestrated by their security teams, as you would imagine. Now, of course, as must happen in the romance, everything is horribly revealed, and it really damages, the, damages them both. Uh, the guys have to work really hard to get to their happy in this book, which, of course, makes the ending very sweetly satisfying. There were a lot of ways the ending could have played out, but I can't imagine one that would have been more perfect than what Casey gives us. I haven't felt as overall thrilled by a book as I have by Red, White, and Royal Blue in quite some time. It reminded me of reading Becky Albertalli's Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda and the wonder of finding such rich, vivid characters in a charming story that really deserves to be real. Casey captured not only an America that I desperately want to live in, but a romance that was everything I could have wanted to. Now, I could gush probably the entire podcast about this book. And you can be sure that there's more gushing coming in the interview that we have with Casey in just a few minutes. But for right now, I'll leave this by saying that I beyond highly recommend Casey McQuiston's Red, White, and Royal Blue. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. And just an extra word about Facebook. You can join us on Sunday mornings on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast Facebook page as we do the live recording of our episodes. You don't get to hear the interviews in that, but you can... Chat with us a little bit, see what shenanigans we get up to. Um, the folks who are watching this episode have seen some pretty good bloopers this morning. So you can come <laughs> check that out. We're usually online starting around 10.30 Eastern Time, 7.30 Pacific. So we hope to see you there some Sunday morning soon. Yes. Now, as if you haven't figured it out from this episode so far, <laughs> we're talking to Casey McQuiston today. Um, she's a debut author. Her first book, Red, White, and Royal Blue, has become 
as you noted, quite the phenomenon. It's got so much buzz before it comes out. You just heard that I kind of love it to pieces. Uh, it is coming out officially on Tuesday, May 14th. And we got to sit down with her for just a few minutes to find out all about that book, what got her into writing, and what's coming up next. Casey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. So before we got to this segment, I, I spent a ton of time just going over Red, White, and Royal Blue as being like one of the best things I've read this year and like one of my top books, like maybe in the ever category because it's just it's everything I needed in a romance with the, the prince trope and essentially royalty in the U.S. with the first son. And I mean, Alex and Henry are so awesome. Tell us what your inspiration was behind this book. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I first started, actually, it's weird. Um, a couple days ago, I was like going through my time hop, which shows you, you know, what you tweeted like two, three, four years ago. And I realized that like a few days ago, which is April 13th, um, was the day that I tweeted like, Hey, I just had this idea for a book. Um, and, uh, it was like, took me back to that moment of like the exact like lightning strike moment when I, I knew what I wanted to write. Um, and this is like a question we'll get into later, but it was like one of many attempts at a book I had started and none of them had really like taken hold of me like this one did. So it, it was early 2016. I was obsessively following the presidential election, um, which, uh, you know, we all were at the time with a lot of optimism. And, uh, and at the same time, I was reading two books. Uh, I was reading The Royal We, which is um, by um, Heather Morgan and Jessica Cox. And it's about, uh, it's basically like a, almost a novelization of Will and Kate with like a bunch of like different things changed about it. Um, so I was reading that and I was also reading a super dry Carl Bernstein, Hillary Clinton biography, um, which was like a fun little juxtaposition. And I had this idea in my head of like, I want to do like, I f I've seen so many subversions of Prince Charming trope, but I feel like as a queer person, I've never seen one that seems the most obvious to me, which is, you know, like what if like he wasn't the perfect, like going to produce a million heirs Prince, you know? Um, and then on the other side, I was like, I like, I loved um, like chasing Liberty when I was growing up and like my date with the president's daughter. And I was like, really into the idea of a, a rom-com starring this like rebellious first kid and I couldn't decide which one I wanted to do first and I was like wait a minute if I put them both in the same story I don't have to pick <laughs> so uh honestly it was me being indecisive <laughs> that led to that decision um and like on a, a wider scale like a bigger scope I just like really was looking for the perfect like fun escapist tropey rom-com that was like so undeniably fun that like the fact that it was also queer wouldn't keep it out of the mainstream you know um because a big thing that I want to do as an author and as a queer person is like push those stories into the mainstream and be like hey you know like 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 everybody is kind of like what they say in love I mean like everybody deserves to have a great love story you know mm -hmm. Um, and so everybody deserves to have like a big, shiny, tropey, fun rom-com, you know? So yeah, that was kind of where it came from for me. And there is so much rom-com-y goodness like floating in this book. <laughs> I think you like pulled a little bit from everything. Yeah. 
yeah. without giving spoilers, because there could be some, depending on what you pick for this, is is there mm-hmm. like one of the rom-com moments that just sticks out for you as like one of your favorites among all of them? Hmm. I mean, like, wow, that's a good question. Um, I have pulled so many tropes from so many of my different favorite rom-coms, but um, there's like this one thing that I love in every rom-com, which is like the gratuitous karaoke moment, um, which uh, is actually, if you've ever watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like a song on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. Like, up. <laughs> yeah, that, so it's like, like 27 Dresses does it, and like 10 Things I Hate About You does it, where it's like somebody gets up and sings a song in front of a bunch of people for no reason, and it's like, no, this doesn't happen in real life, but it's super fun, and so like writing the whole karaoke scene, which I don't think is a spoiler, um, that was like so much fun for me because I was like, you know, I was a musical theater kid in high school, you know, we all were. And, um, and so that was just like, I got to be so indulgent with that. And it was such a blast. I loved it. I, I think you picked a great one right there. Cause you're right. <laughs> there is that moment. There's even that movie, which of course I'm blanking out on right now. That was like the, it was the rebel Wilson movie earlier. Mm-hmm. I think this year that, yeah. She's like, there's always the karaoke moment that she ends up trapped in the karaoke moment in her yeah, own little yeah. thing, right? I love the karaoke moment. <laughs> that says a lot about people, the songs they pick. It does. It is like character shorthand for sure. Yeah, like when like B gets up and sings Call Me by Blondie in the book, I'm like, this is what she's about, you know? <laughs> yeah. There have been so many accolades on this book before it even got published. I mean, we were reading about it, I think, in Blush almost two months ago now. Mm-hmm. What's resonating so much with all these pre-readers? God, you know, I mean, just to start off, I've been, like, completely blown away by the response to it. Um, like, when I wrote this book, I was like, this is so niche. It's like a politi- queer political rom-com with royal elements and also we talk about like gerrymandering in it. And it's just like, I was like, this is so niche. Like no one's going to care. No one's going to publish it. I was like, I'm going to try and query this for like a month. And then like, I'm just going to self pub, you know? Um, and the fact that people have engaged with it so much and that it has gotten like, I mean, I think three starred reviews now, which is just like blowing my mind completely, like so beyond grateful for those. Um, it's just been so like staggering and <laughs> incredible. Um, but I don't know. I think that right now the world is really depressing. Like we live in a world right now that is like at times literally on fire, you know? And uh, it is so important to have like these like little like oases or like moments of respite um, and like little escapist things because like, when I first started writing this book, I was so like neck deep in the news cycle and I really couldn't finish it until I pulled out of it because I realized like that wasn't what it needed to be. Like it didn't need to be mired in all of the negativity and all of the darkness of what's going on in the world. It needed to be this like spark of hope, you know, um, that would kind of feel like, like I think about when Obama won re-election in 2012 and like I was with my friends. I was in college at the time and we like went out on the balcony and like popped a bottle of like $60 French champagne and like how I think about like how I felt in that moment. And I was like, I want this book to feel like that moment, you know? Um, and I think that a lot of people have been missing that feeling. I think that we have so few things, like, especially when we look at the political sphere right now to be excited about and to be hopeful about. And, um, 
I think that we're all just like nostalgic almost for when we had hope. And I think that like um, what this book does is it lives in the space of like being here and now and still having hope, you know? Um, and I think that's really resonating with people. And then I also think that people are just like excited to see, we're seeing it with like Helen Huang and like Jasmine Guillory who are writing romances that are integrating like, you know, neurodiverse characters and just like racially diverse characters. I think a lot of people are tired of seeing, you know, the same like two straight white cisgender, like neurotypical people falling in love, you know? Um, and so I think that people are hungry for something that's different in rom-com and that, um, that can show that like different types of people can have that same big, huge escapist magical love story. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I think it comes from. You noted that you started writing this in 2016, essentially before the election happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have written the same book had Hillary won? That was a great question. <laughs> and um, the book I had, plan to write um before the election went the way that it did was a different book um there were like so many threads that like i ended up dropping i at one point had was before anything about like russia had come out i like at one point had like there's like a russian double agent involved in the campaign and i was like this is too unrealistic no one's gonna buy this i'm cutting this (laughs) you know and now i'm like god (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i mean it definitely i think it would have been more um like lampooning like the democratic party not that i have anything against democratic party as someone who like is registered as democrat but but it would have been more of like veep style like Mm -hmm. you know um like we know that we're all on the same side here so like we're gonna send each other up kind of thing um and instead is more of like it's still very tongue-in-cheek and it's still very like has that that veep side to it, but um, it needed to have more of like, it needs to be less cynical basically, you know, because I don't think that we can really afford a lot of cynicism right now um, beyond like, you know, what, you know, roasting the president on Twitter is cynical, I guess. But, but, um, but yeah, I think that there are certain things that happen in the plot that, um, you know, never probably would have been explored uh, if if the results of the election had gone differently because there, I don't think I would have felt as much of an urgency to put those into the story, you know. Um, so, yeah, it definitely would have been different. It definitely yeah. would have been a lot different. But the president was always the same. It was always, like, the like President Claremont was the same character from the moment I came up with the idea for the book. She's just, like, um, she's... Like Tammy Taylor from Friday Night Lights meets Wendy Davis, the politician from Texas, meets um, like a tiny bit of Selena Meyer from Veep, um, and probably like some of like every strong female in my life, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, long story short, yes, it would have been different. One of the things I like about it so much, and you touched on this a little bit, is that it's not two white guys getting together mm-hmm. because Alex is Mexican-American. And certainly, given how things have played out under the current administration, having that element in the White House as first son says a lot. And and Alex comments on this, you know, periodically as he's kind of going through things and how that aspect of his 
heritage plays into things. Did you have that set early on, or did that kind of manifest as we saw how immigrants were being treated post-election, and even during the election cycle, for that matter? Sure, sure. Well, the minute, it kind of was like the plot itself that informed what Alex would be, because, like I said, the first character I came up with was the president, and everything kind of formed around her. Um, And I'm from Louisiana, and I have this huge chip on my shoulder about Democrats and liberal people and progressive people in red states because like I was one for so long. I live in like a purpley state now. Um, but, uh, but you know, I feel like they're so often written off and discredited and like, I can't tell you, I could probably count on one hand the number of like actual like presidential candidates who came and campaigned in my hometown, which is the capital of Louisiana, you know? Um, and you know, people just don't see anything worth investing in. So I wanted to do, a Southern Democrat. Um, I didn't think that a Louisiana Democrat was that realistic, so I did a Texas Democrat. And um, I, for the minute I knew she was from Texas, I was like, well, it would make sense for her to have, like, married a Mexican man. Or, like, a you know, like a first or second generation Mexican man. Um, and it just kind of went from there where I was like, you know, I really do like that idea of that. Like there's, I know I spent so much time in Texas. I know so many people from Texas. I know so many like Tejanos and like, you know, people, like it just made sense to me. And then, you know, the more that the rhetoric kind of got really vitriolic about, um, about Mexican immigrants, um, around that election, I was like, yeah, fuck you. Actually, I am going to put some Mexican people in the white house. So, um, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And, um, yeah, and there were I did as much as I could with it. Like, obviously, I'm white, um, and I did a ton of research. I talked to a ton of like Mexican friends of mine, and like Mex- especially like Tejano, like um, like first or second generation people. And um, and then what I'm really excited about with the movie is that um, we have the opportunity to bring in more people on the creative side who are Latino, who can offer th- more of that voice that can go farther than I could go with it you know, and that can explore more things with it. Um, so yeah, I, it just felt really natural to me. Like he's from Texas, like, of course, like he could be half Mexican, you know, Mm -hmm. that's just like so typical there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very natural progression of the character for me. And in a weird twist, I'm actually interviewing you from Dallas. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like that's appropriate. I feel like the stars aligned to have you interview me from Texas. <laughs> and finish the book while I'm in Texas. It yeah, was kind of crazy. So appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really excited because my second tour stop is in Austin and I am like so excited. I haven't been to Austin in like a year or two. Um, and it just like feels so right to go back with this book. So I'm like so excited. There is a ton of history in this book. Mm-hmm. Henry goes into a lot of history of the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I loved is in the emails that Alex and Henry are trading, they end mm-hmm. up in quote a lot of literature or other letters of historical people. How much of that was in your head and how much was I need to go off and do a ton of research? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Like, for me, like, a lot of, like, when I was talking about, like, like well, there's parts where, like, after Alex starts to figure himself out, he starts to, like, do all this independent research of, like, let me, like, remediate myself on, like, like, queer American history and, like, you know, reconnect with it, which I think is something that a lot of 
like queer people in their twenties do. Um, uh, like when, especially like for me, like when I was like 20, 21 and I started to like figure myself out, I was like, wow, I need to know like the first thing about like my own community, you know? And so I, um, and so I went back and like really like read a lot and like educated myself. And so, um, a lot of the American history, like American queer history was stuff I was already familiar with, um, because that's, you know, something that I felt was my responsibility to learn in the past. Um, but yeah, I definitely didn't know a lot about queer British history, like at all. Um, and so that was a lot of reading for me. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, like finding like history threads on Twitter and then like, okay, I'm going to go look up all these stories individually and like find out like what, like like, what's the real truth because, you know, like things get twisted online. Um, But yeah, I, the letters were kind of started with, um, and this is like going to like date when I started writing this, but I was like really coming off the Hamilton high, you know, Um, which I think we all were in early 2016. It was just like, like, this was like, oh man, like I've been like mainlining like Alexander Hamilton history for like six months, you know? Um, and, and uh, you know, I was really interested, like I loved like all of Hamilton's love letters with Eliza, but like there was like also his letters with Florence that were really fascinating to me. And I had started looking into that and that was how I found um, this book called My Dear Boy by Richter Norton. And um, that was like, I found that because I was like researching like the Hamilton Lawrence letters. And, um, and that was where I found a lot of the letters that are featured in the emails. And then I also was like looking into like Virginia Woolf and like Eleanor Roosevelt and all of those figures from history who also have a lot of archive letters that are very like, hmm, interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was like, honestly, it was like almost, it was, I had a blast with it cause it was just like a queer history, like Easter egg hunt. Um, and I, you know, I, I intentionally did that in the book because I pictured this book, I picture it being something that like a lot of people at different points in their journey with queerness would read. And I would want like, like, let's say it's like, you know, like some like 19 year old who's like just figuring things out and like, they don't really know anything about queer history. I'm like, well, here's like the name of something that you should go look up. Like here's Paris is burning, like go watch it, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so it was, it's really like a bunch of sneaky history lessons. <laughs> I'm a nerd. And I was like, you should know this too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a blast doing that. Um, and then just like research in general was just like so much fun. Like I spent so much time pouring through the Royal Collection archives online, just like for throwaway jokes and stuff like that. Um, it was just, I'm, I was a journalist for six years before I like quit to do this full time. And so, yeah, I'm a huge nerd and I love like hit like historical context for everything. Um, because that's just like what I've been wired to do for so long. So yeah, uh, that's kind of where it all came, comes from for me. And, and my musical theater geek self loves that Hamilton had a play in that. Cause I kind of felt oh, yeah. as I was reading some of it, it's like, this seems very Hamilton in some way oh, yeah. that they're using this. I like so battled with myself over like whether Hamilton was a thing that existed in this universe. And like, if I should mention it in the book and I was like, I'm not gonna, because it's like still such, it's still so fresh that I feel like it's going to date the book a lot. But, um, but like it's definitely like there's this like undercurrent of like oh like we're like doing like colonial rap battles under the text you know (laughs) (laughs) that's one of the things i like about this so much is that it is current revisionist history yeah yeah (laughs) you know because i mean most of it and, and this doesn't get to a spoiler most of it is leading into the 2020 
mm-hmm. election with Claremont being president in the here and now and having succeeded yeah. from Obama. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's current revisionist history. It's very interesting how that plays itself <laughs> out. Yeah. Uh, now, I think we mentioned that this is this is your first book that's, yeah. that's out there in the world. What got you into writing romance and specifically MM romance? Um, I mean, I have always consumed like all types of media. And like this is going to be, this is like my one sacrilegious answer that I give in interviews, which is I'm really more into movies and TV than I am into books. And that is like the most media that I consume. It's not what I write. It's not like, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not good at that type of writing. Um, But um, it is where I pull most of my influences from and what I consumed the most as a kid. I mean, unless you count like Harry Potter, which like everybody read. Um, Which does very much exist in the red, white and royal blue universe, which I also love. Very much much Yeah. Um, but, but what I engaged with about all of those things was always the relationships in them. Like I watched lost and I was like, I don't care about Dharma or the clues or like what this Island actually means to the polar bears. Like I care about like that. Everybody's going to end up together that I want to end up together in the end, you know? And it was, um, it was always like that with everything I watched. Like I'd watch Buffy and it was like always about that for me. It was like, this is cool. Mythology is cool, whatever, but like spike, you know? (laughs) And, um, and, uh, it really, you know, like that was just what grabbed me. And so I knew that was what I was always going to want to write. And I tried to write other genres. Every other book I tried to start writing was like young adult magical realism or young adult fantasy, which is like clearly not my genre. (laughs) And um, I tried like a bunch of different false starts in those, in those genres. uh, And it didn't pan out for me. Um, And then, and this was, like I said, like the first time I had an idea that completely grabbed me. Um, and I think, like, like I said earlier, like, I I think I gravitate to writing queer fiction for the same reason that straight people gravitate to writing straight fiction, which is that I'm a queer person. And I, it's my experience. It's what I know. Um, I didn't really come into this book with an idea of, like, what the genders should be more than, like, what the story would be. And it formed around that because I, like, I didn't think that this story would take on all of the same <laughs> qualities if it was like two women you know I thought that it would be a little different tone like I felt like if it was like two women there would be like a porn parody within like 15 minutes of it coming out you know um and so it's just like it's there's just different ways that like like lesbian couples and and gay men couples are perceived by the world I felt um and I I felt that for this story it made more sense with two men and I also wanted to do that like prince charming trope subversion um and so it just kind of told me what it wanted to be, you know? And, um, but my next book is, uh, it's about two women and, um, it's a completely different story. Like it's completely different. Um, and so, yeah, I really, um, honestly, it's just, it's just me trying to make queer rom-coms a mainstream thing more than anything else. More power to you. And so far it looks <laughs> like you're doing a great job with that. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> now, this question may not have a good answer based on what you just told us about your your kind of TV and movie thing, but are there authors who influence you? Well, yeah. I mean, like, there are definitely authors that influence me. Um, I loved Oscar Wilde growing up, which is, like, you know, I was, like, 15, like, at, like, my sister's... I remember, like, being at my sister's college graduation with, like, a highlighter and sticky tabs going through the importance of being earnest, like, <laughs> with a paperback. And, um... 
and that so like yeah i did like my term paper in high school and picture dory gray and i was like this is straight behavior um but <laughs> but, but uh <laughs> but yeah oscar wilde was a huge influence on me i mean like the harry potter books like yes of course like they influenced me um i um I read a lot of nonfiction, a lot of memoirs, actually, because um, I love the voice of them. And I think that's what, like, helps me to have a good, like, narrative voice. So I love, like, Carrie Fisher's writings. I love, um, like, Nora Ephron's memoirs are all incredible. Mary Carr. Um, let's see, what else? Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. And I'm like, oh, what else do I read? Um, Jane Austen, honestly. <laughs> like, the classics of romance, you know. Um and then, like, more recently, like, my favorite author right now is Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, like, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is, like, my favorite book I've read in the past couple years and definitely has, like, earned a spot on, like, my all-time faves shelf. Um, and so that's definitely, and I love how she does a lot of, she, like, like me, does a lot of um, what we call in journalism alternate story formats. Um, so, like, like epistolary style things that are threaded into the book which is something that obviously I really love too um and then yeah that's I mean like I read a lot of, like I said I read a lot of non-fiction so like Rebecca Traster and like Roxanne Gay like um uh yeah I mean like those are those are all my faves but then like yeah I pull from a lot of um a lot of tv and movies like the biggest influences on this were like Veep, Parks and Rec, um uh there's like this web series called the gay and wondrous life of Caleb Gallo, um, that I love. And it's like, so like millennial absurdity that it really kind of like, like there's like a shout out to it in the book. Cause they play the song, uh, Loco and Acapulco by the four tops in that show. And I, I put that in the book. Um, yeah. So it's, I'm kind of all over the place. I have a lot of like influences and, um, and a lot of things that kind of like all feed into what mm-hmm. comes out of my brain. <laughs> So let's talk movie. You hinted at it a little bit ago. Um, Amazon and Greg Berlanti picked this up before, you know, again, before it's even published out to the world. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) What was your reaction when you first heard that that was a done deal? Well, I mean, it was like, it was like so many stages of reaction because like what people don't see behind the scenes is that like the process is, is crazy. Like uh, it starts with like, you know, I have a Hollywood agent and she sends out to people and then like one producer expresses interest and then um, more producers can if they want to. And then it turns into like, you're on the phone with like, you know, such and such from whatever like huge production company. And it's like, uh, I'm not qualified to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and you talk to those and you pick your producer and that's how I picked Berlanti. Um, and I, I was just like really excited to, to, with, to even have the chance to work with them. Um, because I've loved so much of their work, like not even just looking at like Love, Simon, like going back to like Political Animals, which is like, like a six episode series that's on Netflix. It's got, it's honestly, um, I would say one of my touchstones too, because, uh, it's got like a, a, like Sigourney Weaver is the president in that, um, which is just like amazing. And they've got like Sebastian Stan as like one of the president's kids. And he's like very like tortured and like recovered from addiction and he's gay and he's, he's Sebastian Stan. So he's crying, you know, (laughs) and like very beautiful. And, um, but yeah, so I just like, I knew that he had the range for it, you know? And I also knew that based on love Simon, that he had that, like that production company had the chops to, get a 
like unapologetically queer rom-com into the mainstream, you know? Um, but also it was like for, on a personal level, I just remember going to see love Simon in the theater. And that was like probably a week after I signed my book deal. And I like showed up with like an entire eight inch Jimmy John sub in my purse because I, like I knew I was going to cry and I like to eat my feelings. <laughs> so, so it was like literally me like alone. I had to like drive like 15 minutes out of my city. Cause I was living in Louisiana at the time. Uh, to find a theater that was playing it. And it was just like me alone in the theater with my sandwich, just like weeping to Jennifer Garner, you know? Um, and I just remember getting in my car and thinking like, if I, if my book could make people feel half as seen as I just felt, you know, by watching that movie, then I will be so, so happy. And so to have the chance to, to do some, to do, to like kind of pay forward what that feeling was for me to like the next round of people um especially queer people like meant so much to me and then yeah amazon um they just like care so much about the project they're so passionate about it they like they want it to you know really they're actually like really invested in diversifying um what is in the market and um and and taking some risks and doing things like this like that project like this um, and it's just like so incredibly like mind blowing and it really doesn't feel real yet to have people want to invest that kind of like those kinds of resources in a story that I wrote that just like came out of my brain. Um, it's just more than anything, I'm just so excited about what it could represent and what it could mean to people. Um, I think about like, and not to at all compare the histories of these communities but i think about like black panther and crazy rich asians and like what those movies meant to have this big cinematic event mm -hmm. geared around a demographic that wasn't usually like catered to by the mainstream you know and what it meant for those people and and you know what it represented for the future of storytelling for different groups um and i like the idea of like being able to make you know any kind of similar impact with movie is incredible. Um, and I really hope that we can do that. And I really hope that it can be, um, the beginning of a lot more queer rom-coms, you know? So yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, so, so humbled and amazed and really excited to see what comes next with it. As you were writing, I think all authors tend to cast their books to some degree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you have in mind, and knowing this is totally separate from anything that Amazon and Berlanti might do, sure, do you sure. have in mind who Alex and uh, and Henry are, at least in your head as you were writing, if you had to assign well, them like, an actor? Well, like, it's so hard because, and this is like kind of an indictment of, you know, the state of Hollywood, you know, and that is slowly being a change, but there really aren't a lot of like young Latino actors out there to choose from. You know, and so it was like there really wasn't a definitive Alex in my head because I had looked and looked and it was like so hard to find, you know, someone that that fit. And that's what's exciting to me about the movie is I think that we will get a chance to kind of give a star making role to, you know, like some young unknown Latino actor, um, which would be amazing. And I would love to do that. Um, and it was and, and Henry is just very elusive. Like there's like five million charming white British men but uh, but he's just like in my head he's just like so specific looking and like 
I have not yet found anyone that matched him. But the the parts that were like easiest for me to like assign an actor to were like, like I I always pictured like Daniel Day Lewis as Richards, um, mm-hmm. like with like but like Silver Foxy, you know, um, and then like Ellen Claremont in my head from day one has been Connie Britton. And then, like, I mean, like, Raphael Luna, like, in my head is, like, Oscar Isaac, for sure, you know? Oh, um, yeah. I like yeah, that. Right? <laughs> right? Like, there are some characters that, like, I came up with the character first and then, like, tried to figure out what they looked like. And there are other characters where, like, with Raphael Luna, I was like, I want a character who looks like Oscar Isaac. What's he going to be, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that was kind of how that came to be. But, yeah, I'm really excited. Like, casting is going to be so much fun and I'm very excited about it and I'm really really excited about um about just like getting to see you know what we can do for some like I think there's gonna be a lot of like unknowns in it in like the lead roles and that's gonna be amazing because they're gonna be able to just really step into and embody those characters without it being like distracting like oh that's like so and so you know like I just like I look at them and all I see is like the character they played in Game of Thrones or whatever right um you know so I think that'll be you know a fun thing but yeah, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of it for that. Do you, we get to see more of Alex and Henry in the future? Do you think? Mm-hmm. I think that that uh, I would not rule that out. Um, that's all I can really say about that. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, that would be amazing. I would love to do that. And you mentioned your next book is going to be uh, a female pairing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's completely different from this. It's like a much smaller scope of a world. Like it's just like a girl who moves to New York, and um, she's she's from the South. I I don't think I will. I don't know if I will ever write a protagonist that's not from the South because that's just like so deeply ingrained in me and in my voice. But um, she's from the South. She moves to New York, um, and she kind of like stumbles into this like roommate situation, um, where it's just like a sort of like ragtag band of misfits kind of thing. Um, and she develops this huge crush on this like hot chick who's on her subway commute every day. Um, and it's kind of like based on the idea of like what, like that, that, that way that you fall in love with somebody on public transit for like 20 minutes. And then it's like, you step off and it's like, they never existed anywhere other than the train. It's just like, they're just like, they're there for 20 minutes and you never see them again. And it's like, you know, but the thing is that she sees this girl every single time she's on the train and there's kind of a twist as to, um, I will say there's, there's some light, um, rom-commy style time travel shenanigans um that happen and um the girl on the train is not exactly everything that she seems um and so the whole book is about like them like their relationship but at the same time trying to figure out what's going on with this girl um so but it's it's a rom-com and it's super fun and of course it has a gratuitous karaoke moment except it's like well, it's, it's more of like, well, no, there's, there's a gratuitous karaoke moment and there's a gratuitous drag show moment. So, okay. yeah. So uh, yeah, range, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm hoping, I mean, obviously we haven't set a date for it yet. We, um, but, uh, it is super, super like personal and like a book of my heart for me. And I'm really excited for people to read it. Fantastic. Definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. It'll be awesome. I'm excited. What's the best way for folks to keep up with you online so they could track your, your progress with the 
with what's up with Alex and Henry and also the new book and everything sure. else. Yeah, um, Twitter for sure. Um, I've kind of been taking a step back lately because since we announced the movie, um, my notifications have been like busted, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I'll definitely be back on more, like especially during tour. Um, I, I tweet out like playlists and like a lot of like little like trivial information, like, um, like there's like birth charts and things like that. Um, on there and then also Instagram um, that one is more like for like you know I'm here for this tour date you know kind of thing um, so yeah those are like my, my big two and it's like it's like Casey underscore McQuiston on Twitter and then Casey period McQuiston on Instagram very cool well we will put the links to all of that in the show notes <laughs> thank uh, you so much I appreciate it <laughs> red white and royal blue comes out on May 14th and we wish you just continued success because it's been so much already and, and look forward to seeing the movie and, and everything else that comes from it. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so, so grateful. Um, it's been so much fun. So thank you so much for having me on. It was such a delight to talk to Casey and hear about the origins about Red, White, and Royal Blue. And I'm so excited about the movie. I cannot wait to see how that turns out. Hurry up, Amazon. We're waiting. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that'll do it for this week. Coming up in the next episode, Adriana Herrera joins us to talk about American Fairy Tale, the second book in her Dreamer series. Now, you've been reading that one, and mm -hmm. so far you've been liking it a lot. And we both, of course, adored American Dreamer, so it's going to be awesome to have her on to talk about it. Yeah, guys. So remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>